Welcome to Carbon Times. As the global drive towards creating a more sustainable world for us all continues to gain pace, our goal is to create interesting content where we will speak to people from across all sectors on what can drive sustainability in everything that we do. We are inviting interesting guests along to talk to us about their experiences and what they are doing to share knowledge, experience, innovation and ambitions. As ever, we want to get everybody talking. We all have a responsibility to create a more sustainable world. We're Honest Mobile and we are changing mobile for good. So the first thing that we've done that's really different to the rest of the mobile industry is we've chosen to be carbon neutral from day one. So we don't think tech industry as a whole does enough to acknowledge its impact on climate change. Um, it emits more carbon dioxide than global aviation, and obviously aviation has a pretty terrible reputation when it comes to climate change, but there's not really much conversation about it in the technology space. And it's growing, that conversation, but so is the amount of carbon they're emitting. So we just wanted to say from day one, we're going to be a carbon neutral mobile network. And we think that gives us a really powerful way to cut through the market. Welcome back to Carbon Times. We've changed the structure of our podcast slightly, so we're now going to be concentrating on all things sustainability and be less series focused and more focused around interesting and exciting things that are happening around the world. So with technology accounting for around the same amount of global emissions as aviation, today we are discussing the role of technology providers have in driving better performance in, and managing their own emissions from their activities. So we are delighted to be joined by Andy Aitken, the founder of Honest Mobile. Welcome, Andy. Could you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about Honest Mobile? Absolutely. Thank you for having me on the show. So my name is Andy and I'm one of the two co-founders here at Honest Mobile. And we are the UK's first net zero mobile network, which is um, why we're here. And we're also a B Corp, which I think is a great new movement of businesses, which I think we'll probably talk a little bit as we get into the session today. But we've been growing Honest Mobile for the last three years. And we're really starting to motor now and finding a lot of interest in sustainability space. And honestly, not much else being talked about in the space either, particularly from a sort of telecoms perspective within technology as a whole. Excellent. Some really interesting points immediately jump out of that. So the world's first net zero phone operator. So I guess I'd love to start with a little bit around what that means, you know, how proud you are of that. I'd imagine that's, you know, that's that's quite a statement to make. Uh, it, it is quite a statement to make. It's um, it's one of those statements that comes back to what's net zero, which is a separate question, which <laughs> we might well get on to. So we're a mobile network, and I guess just 30 seconds on how mobile networks work, because that will underpin quite a lot of what we talk about today. So there's two types of mobile networks that people in the UK will be familiar with. So the first are the big operators that own all of the masts and the infrastructure around the UK, and they pay the government lots and lots of money to use the radio waves um, around the country. So they're EE, O2, 3 and Vodafone, so those big names that you've all heard of. And then there's a, a smaller set of operators um, called virtual operators, of which we're one. And we basically wholesale the infrastructure from those providers. So people like Tesco Mobile, people like GiftGaff, um, all all piggyback is what we call it, piggyback on the infrastructure of those big players. And we're one of those smaller players. And what we decided very early on, as we were setting up the business, Josh, my co-founder and I, we decided we wanted to do two things. We wanted to be 
what we called at the time carbon neutral and we wanted to be a b corp and we looked at all of the things in our supply chain around our carbon footprint from the very very beginning we worked as much as we could with low carbon suppliers but the reality is 99% of our footprint is the big network that we piggyback on so we piggyback on three's infrastructure the vast majority of our emissions are people using our sim cards and the power that those masts and data centers around the country and around the world need to operate mm-hmm. and so much as we shout and scream and ask politely we can't persuade three to move to renewable energy or zero carbon energy overnight so for that residual emissions that we have as a business we remove that in a, in a bunch of different ways actually partly through tree planting partly through biochar and partly through direct air capture and we've done that initially we just did it through tree planting and over the last couple of years i guess our thinking has progressed much as I suppose society's thinking has progressed on carbon and how best to deal with it, want of a better expression. And so to start with, we just looked at the carbon footprint of using the network and we removed that using tree planting. Then we said that actually um, we wanted to look at the whole business. So we wanted to make the whole business carbon neutral. And so we looked at the rest of our supply chain, whether that was servers or packaging or shipping. And we reduced the carbon in all of those bits as much as we could. And then the start of 2021, we decided that we wanted to shift shift the way we did things a little bit. So we wanted to double remove the residual because there's always a lot of leakage in processes. So if we were only removing exactly what we thought we were contributing, we were probably wrong. So we wanted to double up. And we also wanted to build a more complex portfolio of removals. So rather than just tree planting, of which there are great benefits, but obviously there are some criticisms as well, we wanted to spread into some more diversity um, so we introduced biochar and direct air capture as well and so we think that we're the first we're, we're definitely the first network in the uk to get to net zero and globally we think we're the most progressive and most developed in our thinking on it but there are there are other players around the world doing similar things but we think we're ahead of the curve it's amazing a couple of questions then let's bring to mind you know being in the general sort of corporate business world for a long time myself then how was it dealing with the big companies and do you see any risk there going forward in terms of you know if you start to turn the tide and and everybody loves you more than everybody else then is that a risk to your structure i guess our ambition is that we prove to the big players that people want better and the sustainability credentials that we have are one of lots of things that we think we do better than the big operators but yeah i mean our dream is that we get to a million customers and three says oh blimey that's a meaningful amount of customers we should probably get our act together and commit to something beyond 2050 and actually o2 which is depending on which particular statistic you want to use either the biggest or second biggest operator in the country they've committed to getting to net zero by 2025 which is for a, a big multinational company i actually think pretty impressive so sort of credit where credit's due but the other operators last year everyone was still talking about 2050 for net zero and Vodafone and EE have sort of brought things forward I suppose mostly because of public pressure from either consumers or businesses to 2030 and 2040 and you know honestly I think probably all four of the big operators will end up hitting 2030 because I think there's enough pressure there from consumers and businesses to make it happen and it's one of those it's an annoying industry. People hate it as an industry. Not many people love their mobile networks. But if you think about the amount of money that's spent advertising, then, you know, Vodafone's one of the biggest yeah. Formula One advertisers, EE, 
pace with Kevin Bacon to star in every ad, it's not credible that they're going to be around in 10 years' time ignoring the climate crisis. They're sort of a, they're a very sort of front of mind household brand name. And I think that all of those big household names will probably move more quickly than people might expect. So no, I'm not worried about it. I actually think it will happen. I think the big networks will move towards net zero more and more quickly as people realize it's important. And we've already seen it with businesses coming to us who we wouldn't expect to approach us, you know, sort of multinational businesses with offices in the UK of hundreds or thousands of people saying, hey, we've made sustainability a key part of our procurement process. And we've gone out to market and we've spoken to all the usual players and someone mentioned you guys to us and you're a little bit smaller than an organisation we might normally put into our procurement process, but we'd love you to pitch for our business because you're doing more than anyone else and, and you're doing a great job, hopefully. Again, really interesting points have come out of there. And I am, you know, we're, we're lucky to be able to have this forum, this podcast forum, to be able to talk to people like yourselves, because the really key and important point I think you make there is de-risking, you know, like taking the risk out of the whole thing by doing the right thing to some degree, you know, and sort of leading the charge and leading the way and bringing the smaller players up from behind. And I think quite a lot of that kind of entrepreneurial attitude needs to come through in some of the older and more traditional ways of doing things and ways of thinking of things. And I think this is a really interesting way of being able to drive that agenda. And, you know, again, something to be commended, really, from that point of view. Why three, just out of interest, in terms of how difficult was that a decision? So the honest answer is that only way, initially, that commercially we could make the business work. We, you know, lots of, so O2 powers gift gap and it powers Tesco Mobile. Each of those have about 5 million customers. So if you look at the sort of scale of their wholesale business, two of their customers between them have 10 million customers. And so they're, honestly, they're just not that interested in talking to newer players. And, you know, we obviously respect to everyone and three was the one that worked for us and let us start the business. And I think in time, that relationship, you know, one, one of the biggest asks we have of that relationship is around sustainability. I mean, there's obviously technical things that we talk about and there's commercial negotiations, but, you know, I I think there will be a a movement on their sustainability pledges over the next few years. I'll keep my eye on that. I use three for some of the networks that I hold. So it'd be really interesting to see if they do move in that direction, because obviously myself working in the industry, it's, it's, you know, everything you do, which is contrary to it in your own life, you, you feel that you should be changing anyway, you know, from that perspective. So it's, again, it's, you know, People making it more available and driving the agenda, I think, is really what everybody needs. If I was to put my, you know, sort of day-to-day work hat on, I primarily I've worked in real estate for most of my career. And one of the biggest challenges we see from the real estate perspective is quite relevant that at the moment there's probably, you know, 50% of the commercial world out there that are dealing with their sustainability and drive to net zero, et cetera. But they're the big corporations, mid-sized corporations, you know, global investment companies. You'd expect them to have that all there, right? But that leaves 50% of the market, which most of the advice that they need today is inaccessible because they can't go to the big kind of six consultancies. Who are the people driving the message through the corporates to get that advice? It's too expensive. It's inaccessible. So I've mentioned on a, you know, in a couple of podcast conversations around our industry needing to do that, you know, needing to simplify the process, simplify accessibility, simplify the knowledge and the information. So it's more accessible to everybody because otherwise there's no point. I was sitting there thinking we all want to get there, but knowing 50% of the market can't. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's uh, across any industry, actually. I think sometimes there's a, like, a fear of doing it wrong or a fear of being accused of greenwashing when you're genuinely just trying to do your best and, and you know, maybe you can't afford the really good advice. But, you know, there's some simple things that any business can do, whether that's in real estate or telecoms or financial services, whatever the industry might be. And, yeah, there's, there's probably more complex stuff as well that you do need good advice on to, to get absolutely correct. But if you've got the choice between two suppliers or two customers, one of whom is doing something better, you can't go wrong by choosing the one that's doing something better. Absolutely. It's often the case that finding a space in the market or finding something that's entirely niche and different to what everybody else is doing is, is a brave thing to do. You know, So why you and Josh and why now? Well, I guess we so we set the business up back in 2019 and it was, it was kind of, I suppose, the peak of businesses like Monzo and Bulb's success. And I still consider Bulb a very successful business despite what's happened to it. It built, you know, it built a brand around sustainability and making it really accessible to people. And, you know, people literally argued and fought over referral codes to get a 50 pound bulb credit and span that back 20 years and said people would be fighting over signing up to green energy. I think you'd have got some funny looks. So I think Bulb's actually done a really incredible job pioneering that space. And, and, and there's obviously other businesses that are still in business like Octopus that have also created really big businesses built around brand and sustainability. So when we were setting up, we wanted to build a business with a great brand in an industry that people hated. That was really what the genesis of the business was. It was, it was actually, I switched mobile network and it all went wrong and it was a horrible experience. And I spent about three hours on hold and I was complaining to Josh about it in the pub who also worked in telecoms. And we went on Instagram and someone had Instagrammed a picture of their Monzo card whilst they were skiing. And we were like, that's the picture you chose to Instagram whilst you're skiing on holiday. Like, what an unbelievable brand has been created that that's what someone chose to turn the picture off. And we thought if you could create a brand that people loved in telecoms, there must be a really exciting business there. And actually, sustainability wasn't a core part of what we thought would be front and centre of our brand. We wanted to be carbon neutral and we wanted to be a B Corp because they were both things that I'd seen a lot in my previous years. I'm a former accountant. I'd worked with a lot of early stage businesses and I'd seen businesses that were this thing called a B Corp or they'd become carbon neutral. And I just thought, oh, that's, that's great. Like, you know, they printed that on the back of their drinks that they were selling or whatever it was they did as businesses. And I just thought, or we both thought, we're setting up a business. We'd we're not setting up a business to be horrible people. We're not setting up a business to take advantage of customers or employees or the planet. Why would we not be carbon neutral and why would we not be B Corp from day one? Because it's sort of, I think business can be a great force of good and both of those things were ways of doing that. And so we decided to do those things. And then six months later, we started talking to customers and the penny dropped. Maybe we're naive. The penny dropped. Actually, these were really exciting things to talk to customers about. And you know, customers really resonated with the fact that we were doing something a bit different, not just around customer support and technology, which is what we thought would get people excited, but also around sustainability. So it's become a bigger part of what we do. And you know, we've started to take it more and more seriously over the last three years, which is like I say, we sort of start to diversify the way we do carbon removals and things like that, which full disclosure, we knew nothing about three years ago. So um, kind of we're constantly learning and evolving our thinking. That's really cool. Why do you think the other big players didn't do this before you did it? Or does it take someone like you to do it before they are doing what they probably know they should do anyway, right? I think it's hard for a big business to 
make big changes. You know, they can pay for all the consultants in the world, but it's change is hard. And so with the best intentions, you know, you have to write that as a goal that's five years away for it to be credible, which is what O2 did. And five years from when they wrote it is in three years' time. And like I say, credit to them for going for it. I think big businesses, particularly consumer-facing businesses, can be caught off guard by how quickly public perception, public pressure can change. And, you know, you see that with the rise and fall of businesses that you thought would never disappear, whether that's, you know, a business school 101 like Kodak or, you know, businesses that are still around today. You know, things change and if businesses don't keep up, it's hard work. But keeping up is hard work. So I don't think there's a specific reason they haven't done it, apart from the fact that, yeah, just, just change is tricky. But I think they will probably all end up being sooner rather than later when it comes to it. The more I talk to you, I think the disruption you've created, I think, is one of those turning points, you know, because, you know, again, having worked for all sorts of different sides of business, that really, that statement about change being difficult is true in every single corporation, you know, changing anything is difficult, even down to, you know, the software you use to log in in the morning, you know, everything is really difficult. So having a driver at I guess, you know, if they lose 100,000 customers in a year, then the board are going to start going, why are we losing these customers? You know, and then, then all of the questions start to get asked. And, you know, I think it's a, it's a really good way of being able to drive it or help drive it, which is, you know, which is fascinating really from that point of view. You've mentioned it a few times around the fact that you've got B Corp status, which, you know, kind of puts you in an elite group of companies in the UK. You know, there's less than 700 registered or accredited, if you like, B Corp organizations in the uk so for those listeners that don't know what a b corp is could you just give us a little bit of background what it is why you were attracted to it and what it means to you yeah of course so it's a type of business we're still a limited company but it's a type of business that commits to doing good <laughs> and so in all of our decisions we think about the impact it has on people whether that's our customers our employees or external parties on the planet and on profit, we are a business at the end of the day. We're not a charity. And I think that's one of the things that people often misunderstand about B Corp is it's not, it is there to make a profit. It's there to be a business. And it's a movement that got started in the US. And the way it works is fairly simple. There's a, a pretty long assessment that looks at everything you do as a business. It looks at your supply chain. It looks at your shareholders. It looks at your customers. It looks at your mission as a business as a whole and you get scored in all of these different categories and all of the rankings are public so you can see our scores and our results at equal.co.uk and if you meet the threshold which is a score of 80 which is actually quite hard you can become a b corp and um, the final step is that you have to legally change your articles of association so that's like the the constitution of your company the rules of your company that you register with company's house to say that in every decision you make you will consider people planet and profit equally and so that is actually a very tricky bit and again a reason why it's harder for some big businesses to make that commitment because there's a really big governance ask to make that change. Is that an annual reporting requirement? So it doesn't, you still have to report like a regular limited company. So it's just in your articles, but you, I mean, you, you do effectively sign those off every year. Yeah. So it's like so, a reminder once a year that, you know, this is what we're committed to. And, and, and I guess, I suppose when you're submitting your other reporting information, then it must be quite pertinent at that point that it does remind you as a business. Yeah. And as you get larger, you have to start submitting a formal impact report as being a B Corp as well as part of your annual accounts. 
So it's a rigorous process. I was really impressed with some of the kind of depth and, and breadth, actually, of what it covered. And again, when you sort of think about something, we decided to do it very early. So it was literally like day three of being a business. We went through the survey and that helped us to build the business in a good way from day one. You know, we hadn't necessarily thought about what our parents or leave policies were going to be as mm-hmm. a business founded by two 20-something guys. We just can't talk about it. Um, but, you know, the reality is having that thought about before it's a pressing matter is a good thing. And then it's a question of not just do you have one, but, you know, what's on there? Like how, how generous is it? Who's included in it? So it was a really, it was a great sort of framework to use to build a, a good business. And we, and we used that very early on. But if you take that to a business with 10,000 people and public shareholders and all sorts of things, and you say to them, we're changing all of our policies and we're changing the legal structure around how we operate, which means that we're no longer going to be solely motivated by a profit motive in everything we do. It's quite a big ask. Yeah, definitely. But one that lots of big businesses have done and lots of institutional shareholders are shareholders in businesses that have done it. And there's a sort of, you know, there's a, you know, shareholder primacy still rings true for a B Corp. Um, It's just that your shareholders might want you to also care about the planet and people, not just profit. And yeah, there's some very big institutional funds that now say ESG is front and center of everything they invest in. And, you know, that makes a B Corp business a, a perfect investment for them. We're increasingly seeing and hearing from everyone that we talk to, you know, that especially, you know, as you go again, go up the corporate ladder, that access to finance and debt are going to become far more difficult if you don't have a decent ESG strategy and you're able to really shout about what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So everything's tied up with it as we go. So I mentioned earlier, you know, that for me working in the industry, I can really align to a lot of what you're talking about and a lot of what you're doing. But I would imagine you don't only want to attract, you know, sustainability professionals to use on his mobile and be on board with you guys. And that's not your only selling point, I appreciate. So what are you doing really to attract personal customers if we start there? So I guess we sort of look at telecoms as a whole and we think there's a load of trust missing. So if you ask most people what they think of their mobile operators, they sort of pull a funny looking face at you. And it's not that anything's necessarily gone badly, but there was that time they went to America and they forgot about putting the right bolt on and they got charged a hundred quid. And there was that time they had to phone up to change the direct debit and it took two hours and it was just a pain. And there was that time they discovered that they were still paying 80 quid a month, even though their 24 month plan had finished 24 months ago. Um, and they could have been on a plan that was 20 quid a month. And there was that time they discovered that they only used four gigabytes of data a month and they were paying for unlimited data. And it's just this, once you get into it, this list of things that people are just annoyed about. And so what we've tried to do is sort of flip all of that thing on its head. And so we've made everything super easy to access in an app, which I think is what people expect these days. And what is quite revolutionary, which sounds stupid, is that you can see your past usage. So you don't suddenly um, worry about moving down to a smaller plan. If we see you're paying for an unlimited plan and you're using a couple of gigabytes a month, we'll tell you and we'll ask you to move to a smaller plan to save you money. And we will let you do all of your account management stuff, join, leave, switch plans, switch up plans, switch down a plan, all in the app itself so you don't need to talk to us, which means that if something has gone wrong or you do need some help, our support team will talk to you in about 15 seconds, which is test it out they really are there and so it's just a much better experience as a customer and so we don't focus as you say just on the sustainability piece it's around being 
better and doing things right. So having great customer support, having great pricing, um, making it really easy to do things that perhaps if you're a bit less um, savvy with technology, you might be a bit nervous about. But by having a great support team there, you can really, really help people out. So it's about sort of looking at everything that's, I suppose, wrong or annoying or broken in telecoms and just trying to do the right thing for the customer. And a lot of those things are where traditional networks make lots of money. So if you pay for unlimited data and don't use very much, you're a dream customer for one of those big networks. But for us, we'd rather have you pay less and be happier and not feel like you're being ripped off because you're not being ripped off. And, you know, then we think you've got a happy customer who will stay with us a really long time. Sounds like the whole B Corp thing in terms of, you know, the way you phrase it being enabling you to be a good business seems like that makes it good for business in, in its own right. Yeah, exactly. I think being grown up and trustworthy and telling people how it is has a lot going for it. So then if we move on to your activities in the business world, just from talking to you there, I see there's a couple of challenges that you've even, you're even aware of yourself. The one for change, that'll be the biggest challenge I would imagine, you know, one that you'll come up across all the time. I can see really positive things in terms of alignment to organizations, ESG strategies, et cetera. You'll also, I would imagine from time to time, come up against a procurement barrier where you mentioned the organization that you're engaged with already, where you know, even a side comment from them is we don't normally, you know, engage with organizations of your size before. I've been there myself where, you know, you'd be perfect for the contract, but the procurement rules, you know, let's say, for example, you know, that the contract's worth 10 million pounds over five years, that if your revenue isn't at least double that within the same period of time, then, you know, you can't even apply for this. So how are you attacking that i guess to some degree or are you aiming somewhere else in the market or are you going for the big ones uh no so we certainly are going for the big ones i guess you know the reality is there's going to be some of those red lines that no matter how well you fit otherwise some things you just won't be allowed to get involved in so you know those massive enterprise customers you know hundreds of thousands of users would be a a push for a procurement process for us right now but where we found a great sort of middle ground at the moment is you know businesses with a hundred to a thousand people who haven't necessarily been a particularly exciting target for a, a Vodafone to go after, say, and where they've not had an account manager in the past and they've, or worse, they have had an account manager, but they have to do everything through that account manager. So if someone's, you know, needs their SIM replacing because they've lost it, you have to email your account manager and then it takes three weeks and then a new SIM arrives. So we've kind of, I guess, similar to what we've done in the consumer world, we've made it really easy for an IT person or an office manager to manage the whole office's mobile plans. So they can view everyone's usage. They can upgrade people, downgrade people. We can even, people can opt into us doing that automatically. So we'll optimize it for them. So if they've got some low users, we'll automatically put them on our low plans. If they've got some high users, we'll automatically put them on our high plans. And so we can help to reduce bills. We can help to make it easier for that kind of administrator to look after everything. And we tick the ESG boxes that everyone else is really struggling with. And there was win more of those medium-sized businesses and large businesses. That's you know what gets us into the enterprises as well over time. Excellent. So again, if I put it back to my own mind, I'm working with a lot of the clients that we work with. I can see you know, that that strong alignment with an ESG strategy, it's kind of a no-brainer to some degree, right? If you're in the right space and you kind of put up any other mobile phone company and your mobile phone company, and it becomes a very difficult argument, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, we think so. My biggest challenge is getting in front of 
people who are looking. So that is one of the big problems is people yeah. tend to be tied into long plans. And so if you're in a three-year plan with everyone's renewal date in 24 months' time, you don't much want to talk to us right now. So yeah, those those long contracts, they're just something we have to work around, put the renewal dates in the diary. And the other thing we can do that, again, other people are less keen on is because we know customers love us, we don't want to tie you into a three-year plan. Right. So if you want to just put one SIM on today and then and you join her in a couple of months' time and gradually as all those three-year contracts expire, you move people over. So it does keep things much more flexible than a lot of providers are willing to be. That's really good. So if we go into a little bit of depth and detail about yourselves as a company then, so because yeah, I think a lot of our listeners would be really interested, you know, thinking about their own objectives, the, the objectives of the organizations they work on or work with, you know, there'll be listeners here that are mid-development of their own ESG strategies or, you know, helping to advise other clients on that kind of ESG strategy piece. So I think from looking at what you've achieved, you've made some really cracking decisions that like the the doubling down on the emissions in the fear that you know you might not quite get it right i think that does really two things one it's you know again i'll use that word commendable you know again but but also it makes it less challengeable going forward doesn't it that you know you you're very loud and proud about your credentials no one can really dig into it and find little holes and gaps in it if you're going way over and above what you kind of get so you know that part of it is really good how did you choose the methodologies that you've chosen to close your gap so you mentioned biochar you mentioned direct air removal and forestry wasn't it so afforestation isn't it is the other one so those are your three core methods if you like so i'd be really interested to know why those how you came about them because you mentioned yourself you know you're not technically minded in that field yeah, so we work with a we work with a Danish organisation actually called Climate with a K, which helped us to build that portfolio of removals. I was introduced to them by a friend who works in sustainability, and you know they came and helped us look at what we were doing. And to start with, we were just doing our forestation, and they said that works, but there's some risks to it, there's some downsides to it, there's some challenges to it that people might present you with, or you might want to be aware of, and there approach is to help build removal portfolios for businesses um, and so they walked us through the different methods and the different price points and we came to a blend that we were comfortable with and i think it's really important as a technology startup that we support technologies trying to fight the climate crisis i think science can provide those solutions but if no, if no one's their customer particularly not if someone who professes to be interested in technology and climate, then who is going to be their customer? So we wanted to be a direct air capture customer, even though it costs literally 100 times more a tonne of removal. And so we can't afford to do very much of it. So at the moment, about 1% of our volume of CO2 is removed through direct air capture. But that costs us the same as 95%, which is afforestation. And what we've committed to is to keeping our spend levels the same. So we'll continue to invest about 40% of our spend in direct air capture. And as that technology gets cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, over time, we'll be able to do more and more and more direct air capture, for instance. And as other technologies come along, which can help, um, you know, we'll continue to, to add those to the portfolio as well. So it's, I guess it's on, on the sort of steer and support of experts in the space, you know, that's a team of proper climate scientists. And, you know, we take their advice Seriously. And it was also then they encouraged us to double remove on the basis that leakage and miscalculation is large. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, everyone's everyone's working on averages in megatons and producing calculations in 
kilograms. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so rounding um, matters a lot. So, so yeah, that, that was part of the reason why we moved to double remove as well. Brilliant. If there was another organisation out there now, or there's someone on the other end of this podcast that sat there with a fabulous idea, it's disruptive in the market, they might have to go up against the big boys, but what they're doing is genuinely going to make an impact to the whole agenda. Like, what would be your advice to them right now? It's always tricky to come up with advice on these things. I'd say get started. You know, go and talk to those people that you think might be customers or might invest and talk to them, get their feedback. I think there's often a worry that, particularly in a situation like that, where there is a big player that, you know, if they ever caught wind of you, they'd just steal your idea. Rowdy is they're very busy. They're not that interested in you. Um, so, you know, get started and give it a go and find out what people think of it. It's a lot of hesitance. And if you can't muster up the time to go and talk to someone about your idea, then probably it's going to stay an idea. There must have been a moment in time where, you know, you and just sat there in the pub, had the idea, basically brainstormed it, thought to yourself, right, these are the challenges, blah, blah, blah. I'd imagine that formed itself over time. You then had this slightly crazy idea. You know, you're talking to some people, they'll be telling you off your rocker. You know, you talk to other people, they'd be saying it's a fab idea. Can you remember the moment when it tipped in your own mind where you thought, you know what? It was a good idea. (laughs) I don't think there was one one penny drop moment but the first time that a sim card went into a phone and said honest in the top corner that was quite extraordinary and then there was actually in the middle of lockdown we were launching we'd set up this waiting list on email we had oh no it was before lockdown we'd set up this waiting list on email and we'd got about five thousand people who'd signed up to the waiting list we'd been running it for a couple of months and at some point we had to start selling stuff to people I guess this goes back to what I said on you just got to get started but we sent out an email to 5,000 people and we were sort of expecting absolutely nothing to happen we got about 250 orders within about half an hour and we were like oh <laughs> oh so um, genuinely people, waiting. people are interested <laughs> or like are waiting exactly and so that was an extraordinary day yeah actually thinking back that was probably the moment where it was, that was 18 months in that was a while um but yeah that was probably when it suddenly sort of dawned that maybe we had something yeah i love that kind of thing you know that kind of story where you can where you feel like you're just you know finally at last that kind of moment you know it's brilliant a couple of kind of closes then i guess before we leave where do you see yourselves in 10 years time so we think this is a you know everyone we speak to in telecoms around the world has similar frustrations, bugbears, pulls the same slightly contorted face when you ask them about what they think of their mobile network. And so we think we've got a business that could be launched in most of Europe, in America, in almost any market around the world, actually, and build a, a great business that's sustainable, that has great support. But really excitingly for us is as you launch internationally, you can start to you know have those relationships in lots of countries so that if an honest customer is in America where honest might also exist, then we could get rid of roaming costs, which, you know, is something that has been one of those big topics in mobile for years, but particularly Mm. over the last 24 months as Brexit happened and everyone said, oh no, we're definitely going to keep roaming free. And then Brexit happened and everyone was like, oh no, we're actually going to charge you a fiber. You know, it's it's an emotive topic again, where we think there's a great opportunity with that global scale to to really launch a global business that has no roaming. So order a SIM anywhere in the world, pay a fixed monthly cost and use anywhere in the world. Fabulous dream. Well, actually I shouldn't call it a dream because everything you've kind of you know, put into place as, as happened and been reality. So a great ambition, I guess, would be a fairer way of describing it. 
I will say thank you and leave it at that. (laughs) The last question I normally ask people on the podcast is that if you had the opportunity to have lunch tomorrow with Boris Johnson, what would you be talking about, you know, in the context of yourselves? And if you could influence him, what would you want him to walk away with? Um, I'm not sure how much we talk about, but probably I would, I'd focus actually around B Corp at a, at a sort of you know, national level. There's a movement to introduce what's called the Better Business Act, which is effectively writing some of the values of being a B Corp into company law to focus on protecting worker rights and people and protecting the planet. And so I think there's a, I think there's a great opportunity there for the UK to be pretty progressive. You know, we've been, many people would argue, not gone far enough, but we've been quite progressive when it comes to net zero commitments. We've got a fairly progressive interest in, you know, supporting businesses. I mean, I think there's a, you know, an interesting opportunity to be very progressive around how businesses can be better. I don't think, I said this earlier, I don't think there's many businesses that get set up today that go out of their way to be bad businesses. There's still some, don't get me wrong. But I think that's probably, you know, starting to reflect more and more on older businesses as well. You know, we see, you know, big banks starting to think about going through the B Corp process that are, you know, hundreds of years old and probably aren't people's favorite brands. I don't think it's about necessarily being a favorite brand. It's about, you know, making the right decisions. Um, some people won't like all of those decisions, but better that they're making the right decisions with the right intentions than the wrong decisions altogether. That's what I talked to Boris about. Excellent. Well, I'm sure that would make for an interesting lunch. And hopefully in that context, you'd walk away with some inspiration around that. I think that's a really good thought and a really good idea. Okay, well, it's been genuinely fascinating and really, really interesting talking to you, Andy, you know, inspired by what you guys are doing genuinely. Well, thank you very much for having me. Awesome. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed everybody and we'll see you next time on Carbon Times.